Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. I want to thank everybody for another great week in social media. Our following continues to grow, and this week a huge contingency from Australia showed up for obvious reason. Now I'm working as diligently as I can to get through all the messages and get back to everybody, and I thank you greatly for all the kind words and encouragement that you have provided. Now this week a huge thank you is in order for previous guest Nikki Flundra. She's an incredible horsewoman in her own right, and was featured in episode 23 of Let Freedom Reign podcast. Nikki was kind enough to put us in contact with this week's guest, Dan James. Now, as you know, Dan is a world-renowned horseman and part of Double Dan Horsemanship. Now, Horse Media has covered a lot of Dan's successes throughout his career to include appearances at Road to the Horse, the World Equestrian Games, and Mustang Makeover. However, this week we briefly touch on those successes and really peel back the layers and dive into what makes Dan the man he is today. And again, should you find this content valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Dan James. Mr. Dan James, good morning. How are you this morning? Good, mate. Uh, great, to, great to get to connect and to talk with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is many weeks in the making. Um, a huge thank you is deserved to Nikki Flundra for making the recommendation. Uh, we spoke with her many weeks past, and, and she said, hey, it'd be absolutely amazing if you can get Dan James on the show. And she was kind enough to put us in contact, and it's been many weeks in the making, and here we are. I actually just uh, not long ago uh, today spoke to Nikki, and um, uh, that's an incredible, incredible woman, incredible mother and horse, horse lady, and of course, uh, heck of a family up there, uh, Dustin and the boys uh, ranching up there in Canada. They are some tough people. I couldn't do what they do. I was going to say that kind of the easiest way to describe Nikki and her family is just amazing. I, I don't know any other way to put it. I mean, they're, they're so good at all aspects of life, whether it be the horsemanship and they're just amazing human beings and so helpful and so kind and so genuine. You know, it's, it's somewhat rare in today's day and age, you know? Absolutely. Good stuff. So in my preparation for this interview, you know, I think I have arguably one of the greatest horsemen in the world going down the road right now on the show. And and what do we talk about, right? Do we talk about history? Do we talk about horses? And then I thought, you know what? What if we were to talk about adult beverages and drawn horses? And then two weeks ago, I listened, <laughs> I listened to Matt West podcast that you had on. And uh, lo and behold, I guess you beat me to it, huh? Yeah. Well, I tell you what, we, maybe we can uh, revisit that. We'll just have to have you come out home and uh, draw your version of the horse in our guest book. So let's put just a little bit of context to this because people are probably listening and saying, what the heck and where are they going with this? Um, explain a little bit of this kind of tradition you've, you've uh, implemented here at your house, and then we'll go into to Matt West's show and how this all came to be. So uh, we've only owned our farm uh, coming up three years, my wife and I, and, and uh, you know we obviously have some friends and guests that, that uh, would, would come along. And, and I thought, you know, everyone has a, you know, sign your name here, but I was like, I was like the number of incredible horsemen and horsewomen that we have visit our farm on a on a fairly regular basis. I'm like, what better way to have a have a great playing field of like saying to them, okay, I want you to draw your version of a horse. And as you can imagine, I mean, it's from uh, 
stick drawings through to epic proportions. And uh, my goal one day is, uh, I, I guess, once I've filled up this book, is to probably do a printed version of it. And I think it's going to be, a, you know, hopefully a little bit of a uh, fun there for everybody, but to just to see everybody's impersonation, I mean, it is, it is gold. It was absolutely incredible. And I'll tell you what, I am a huge fan of Matt West's podcast. And for those of you listening right now, you can pause, take two seconds, go find Matt West now. Uh, subscribe, follow. Dan was on there a couple weeks ago, and and uh, Brad may have drawn a questionable species of horse. I guess it could have been like a, a, a five-legged horse, or there was kind of some anatomical discrepancies. But uh, the conversation <laughs> and the dialogue that you guys started with was absolutely great. I mean, I, I literally had to almost pull off the side of the highway because I was crying. I was out of laughter. It was amazing. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was. A, it was. A, it was a great fun evening, and. Uh... Uh, Matt, who I've got to know um, over the years, the different things, um, you know, awesome friend and, and good good guy. So it's, I'm I'm excited how his his uh, podcast is going along. Yeah, that's incredible. I definitely tune in as often as I can. Now, for you, you're going down the road this week, uh, headed to the Midwest, correct? Yeah. So we we actually uh, we headed up there today uh, to the Deerfield, Wisconsin, and then later on in the week to uh, Madison. We we have a three day uh, Liberty Clinic, and then we go into the expo for four days, and then we follow it up by another three-day uh, Liberty Clinic before going back to Kentucky. Round trip, huh? A couple weeks out there on yeah, the road. you bet. Good stuff. So let's get into just a little bit about your history, and I know your history is very well documented, but let's just kind of touch base uh, on some different chapters of your life, and then we'll get into to what horses have meant to you and how they've kind of shaped where you are today. Sure. Sounds good, mate. So if you want, let's just start with uh, with the beginning. Grew up in Queensland, Australia, correct? And and, and folks were yeah. cattle, cattle ranchers. And yeah, so it's, it's it's taken me a while to get used to saying the the term ranch um, over here. Obviously, back home in Australia, the properties or or the stations as they're most commonly referred to. So mum and dad came from from sheep and cattle uh, stations, and uh, later on. You know, when they were together, we kind of grew up in a in a lifestyle where they managed uh, small, you know, cattle properties. So we were around horses from a very early age. But it was really, uh, you know, horses at that point, particularly mum and dad, were just, you know, really used for a tool for work. Mum and dad never competed a day in their lives, but, um, you know, were, were good uh, horsemen and horsewomen uh, just from the, the essential uh, you know, happening to use them every day. So it was a, you know, a childhood that kind of revolved around the horse. Um, I always, you know, loved horses. My, my brothers, they, one, you know, did a bit of amateur boxing and the other one raced motorbikes. Uh, my sister, you know, loved the, loved the horses. But uh, so it was kind of, you know, I guess we had a great opportunity to pursue anything that we wanted to when it came to the uh, to the horse. Um, who knew it would... Uh, bring us all the way over here to the state. Yeah, it's been an absolute incredible journey, and I, I can only imagine all the challenges faced in, in transplanting, you know, from your, your country of origin all the way to the United States, and you've built more than a successful horsemanship program. So let's talk a little bit about your first experiences coming over to the States and, and where you go from from using horses, you know, as a tool, as you described, to, to really investing in the horse from a horsemanship standpoint. You bet. You know, it was kind of, um, I guess, funny how uh, things have, you know, turned out. Uh, early in my career, I guess, in, a, in Australia, like, I always had a real interest 
uh, and loves of like movie horses and horses that perform tricks and stunts, whether it be rearing up or, you know, falling or, and, and stuff like that. And it wasn't really, you know, it's kind of not one of those things that you kind of look up and go, well, how do I become a movie horse trainer? Uh, so, the, you know, I guess I got involved with starting a lot of young horses. Um, I rode a lot of horses um, on the racetrack. Um, and and my specialty at that point was probably really um, eventing and show jumping and dressage horses. Um, being involved in that thoroughbred industry in Australia, what that kind of did is it gave us a really great foundation uh, and an access to a lot of horses. The, the place that I was on in Australia, Washville Lodge, uh, we had 100 horses in work every day and I was riding on average around 600 miles a week just on the track. That's incredible. And then it did addition to that, we started a, um, another 300 horses each year uh, for the racetrack. So, you know, even a blind squirrel gets a nut in every now and then. So <laughs> after, you, after you get on that many, you know, the experience part of it is like you, you either get better or you get fired or you get hurt, which yeah. is typically one of the, you know, the way that that kind of goes. So I really thought that, you know, at that point in, in time that, particularly aimed at the equestrian side of things that I'd probably end up uh, going towards Europe and, and trying to get based in, in England. But God had different plans, and I always kind of look at it now. A, a, a good friend of mine that I rode with on the World Equestrian Games team in uh, last year in 2018, Chris and I both came up through um, through Pony Club and, and eventing and that in Australia, and he followed that and went to England, and he rode on the uh, Australian eventing team and I was uh, fortunate enough to ride on the Australian reigning team uh, given the two different directions in life that we uh, that we went so coming across here to the States certainly steered me in a, on, on a different path. I was going to say it's been quite the journey for you and I know it sounds like you and Dan Steers got together in 2008 is kind of when the formation of Double Dan kind of first started to develop. Can you kind of explain how, how that evolution took place? Well it Jason, you, you at least didn't ask the most commonly asked question when it comes to double dan horsemanship and, and Dan Sears and myself. But just so that you know, most commonly asked question that we get are, are you two brothers? <laughs> and, you know, for a while we were always trying to be so polite and politically correct about it. And eventually we said, yeah, we're, we're, we're brothers. Um, you know, we've, we've got different fathers, so our mums didn't think it would be a problem naming us both Dan. That was incredible. I was going to say, what a what an easy concept to just go with or a joke to go with, you know, if people just kind of yeah. sat back and thought about, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know many brothers or sisters that have the same name, so right. maybe I don't think outside the box like most people do. Well, I, I, I mean, I can't say that we were even that original. It's the best thing that and we didn't even we couldn't even come up with a name. Our, our good friend and mentor Heath Harris came up with the uh, nickname uh, Double Dan, and uh, that's what we that's what we went with. But uh, so Dan and I were obviously both involved in horses. We were doing some similar stuff, and uh, we I could see that you know rather than trying to go about this you know doing it on our on our own or individually, like hey let's let's team up here and uh, and go to go to work and man it's been one of the best partnerships uh you know as partnerships are, are kind of a tough thing to maintain but um we've been really fortunate that we both brought different skills uh to the table and um it's man it's, it's been awesome and that's the greatest part about being on any team right is that 
you know, to each their own. Everybody has their contributing factor or their skill set that they bring to the table. And and oftentimes it's the personalities that, that are the difficult thing to manage, right? People just inherently don't get along all the time. That's just that's just human nature and life in general. But I think it's incredible that you guys do take separate skill sets. You know, you, you, you put them together to make Double Dan Horsemanship. And it's incredible what you guys have been doing with horses in the program and the development. And you're going on 10 years now, correct? Yeah, I know. It's um, it's kind of crazy to, uh, you know, it, I guess like everyone, you know, it sounds so corny to say it, but I mean, it does just feel like yesterday that we were, you know, two young fellas that had a love and a passion for horses and, and wanted to see how that we could make a life out of it. And, you know, here we are 10 years later and uh, we've been real blessed and fortunate that uh, a bunch of, you know, good things did go our way. I think that one of the most important life skills that mum and dad gave me was just to teach me about work ethic. But then the other part of it has been is surrounding or, or finding out, seeking out other horsemen and horsewomen that I was then fortunate enough that they sort of, you know, taught me a lot of life skills and life lessons along with the, the horsemanship. Um, you know, without those people kind of pouring into you and who you surround yourself with, you know, I, that's a huge, huge, huge part of what I believe has been our success. And on the show, we very often discuss community, right? And many guests have said, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And you got to find a community of people that are like-minded and willing to invest in you. So let's go back through yeah. your history a little bit. Who are some of the more, more influential people in your lives, whether it be your horsemanship career, or it could be, you know, people in your personal life that have helped you formulate different perspectives that have benefited you in running your business or, or managing your horses or being a father, being a friend, any parts of life? You know, there's, there's a lot. I always get, you know, kind of scared to uh, miss somebody out on it. But right from an early, an early age, like two of the people that I got to be around when I was just, a, you know, a kid and start, starting out and who mum used to pay $20 for a, you know, for an hour long or, or longer lesson, which for us at that time in our lives with a lot of money and the two these two people they were just like looking back on it now even gives me a greater appreciation so Jan and Lex Young and they were outside they're just outside of our little town um in in Queensland Australia there and Jan had been a polio victim and Lex had been in a motorcycle accident when he was about 19 and he had lost um, both his right leg above the knee and his right arm above the elbow. And with Jan, with the polio, and those two ended up, you know, meeting, getting married, having kids. But they they trained a lot of horses for horse and cart, sulky and stuff. And Lex, so Jan would drive the, the horses uh, and and Lex would actually build all of the carts. And I'm, I'm talking from the ground up. Like I would, as a kid, go across and help him in the workshop. And with literally with one hand and one leg in his mouth, he would be able to go through and, and to build those magnificent um, horse carriages that Jan would then later on show, um, you know, at the at the big shows and that in, in Australia. And they were phenomenal people because they just, they had this grit about them that despite what, you know, hard, things that they had been handed in life like it never let them stop doing anything like all the shows the horses it didn't matter how tough a horse was I I mean it just didn't faze them and and these were two people that I got to you know be around a lot when I was a you know kid growing up and they just taught me that you know that 
instilled that determination. Uh, so they, they were two people that were very, very big um, early on um, in my career. My my uncle, he was a uh, another guy, great horseman. He had lost his 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 right arm in another accident. And again, these people they could just adapt to whatever situation and find a way through it. And, and I, that kind of like really meant a lot to me watching people that that hadn't really had a fair go, but despite all the odds, like it never phased them. And I and I've always, you know, whether it was a situation that we were on in in the middle of the, you know, outback or on the station that you didn't have the right tools or something was broken down or you found yourself in a predicament, those skills that we'd been kind of, you know, instilled in us as, as kids and in, in, in youth, that was kind of like, I think, again, one of the main things that helped me to get to where I am right now. It's an incredible perspective when you think about it. So much of life is circumstances dealt to us, right? And oftentimes we have no control over, over those cards that are dealt. But you're absolutely correct, and it's not a lesson until that I learned until later in my life, but your, your attitude and the perspective in which you take on those circumstances or challenges, I think, plays more of a role in the outcome than the actual circumstance does itself, you know, and, and to have that ingrained into you at such a young age, I mean, what a very, very fortunate set of circumstances and, and my hat's off to those people in your lives because th- those are invaluable lessons, you know, and, and they didn't yeah. let the challenges dictate who they were or what they did. They just went about life the right way and conducted business how they saw fit and, and success is relative, right? I mean, yeah. s- some of the strongest people, and th- that's been kind of the formulation of a lot of this show, is that some of the strongest people, they're not rich and famous, right? They're not in Hollywood. Yeah. They're not on magazines. They're not stars in movies. You know, it's, it's, it's small town America, or I guess small town Australia in your regard, that formulate some of the greatest people on this earth. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. You know, I, we've had this discussion, Dan Sears and, and myself, uh, many times over the years. There's been a lot, lot better horsemen fail in the horsemanship business than, than you, you know, than, than you know what to do with. And, and a lot of it has got nothing to do with the talent that you have as a, as a horseman if you don't have the other pieces that go along, uh, with it. We see people that come through the farm, kids and young people wanting to, you know, aspiring to be horse trainers that not a lack of horsemanship ability, but a lack of, you know, motivation, uh, work ethic, being prepared to do the other things outside of the, the horsemanship. And it's, it's true because I think back on my journey through life. I played baseball before I had to get a real job. And then now I'm, I'm relatively new in the grand scheme of things to this horsemanship stuff. And I can't say I grew up poor or impoverished, but I mean, I had to work for every single bit that I wanted, right? If I wanted new equipment or if I wanted to go to a clinic or if I wanted to start on a team, right? That was on me. I, I didn't have anything in my life that was quote unquote handed to me. I had to work for all of it. And it's that work ethic instilled at such a young age that has been a driving force for a lot of the success in my life. Is it just, you learn not to quit. If you want it, go get it. You know, it can be yeah. done and you don't have to be gifted and you don't have to be privileged. You know, when, when you put your nose to the grindstone, a, a lot of great opportunities can come of it. And, and that's the greatest joy and the confidence in life is that no matter how hard things get, you don't need anything but yourself. But the hard part is, is finding a way to believe in that, right? Oftentimes a lot of people right. struggle with that. For sure. And, you know, it does 
like the the conversation that we that we're having, it does lead so much into uh, into the horsemanship thing because I find horses like this all the time that that actually need to have a work ethic instilled into them because typically most horses that you that you come across are somewhat you know they're lazy, they're looking for the easy the easy deal out, and that's how you know a lot of time that I feel like that God has spoken to me in my life has been through the horse in using the horse as an example. Uh, you know, back to me because there are there are times where I'm like working there away on a horse. I'm like, can't you just see if you went there, how much easier that this deal that I'm trying to work you through would be? And God's like, I know how you feel. Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. With that, with, and with that horse, you know, like as he develops and you instill that work ethic into him, then he starts trying more. He's, he's more willing because he starts to have that, that trust and that confidence in you that where you send him that it might be tough to get there, but it's not going to kill him. Uh, so, that you know, that, that whole deal, for me, goes hand-in-hand in, hand in horsemanship and in life. Absolutely. It's one of those things where it almost gains momentum, right? The, the, the toughest step, and this goes with any challenge in life, right? Oftentimes, the toughest step is the first one. And then yep. once you make that commitment, and once you see that life isn't that bad when you, when you commit to whatever the change might be, that's when the success really, really starts to grow and the momentum starts to develop. And you bring, a great, you bring up a great point about, you know, God's gift of the horse and, and what he has done for, for all of us on earth. But there's an adage out there that, that God only grants you one great horse in your life. Do you think in your yeah. career, do you think in your career you have found that horse yet? You know, I, I always tell people that I think that I've been more than blessed on that because I've, I've had several great horses that come along that have impacted and, and somewhat, I could go as far as saying, changed my life. And I always, you know, heard that statement that God, you know, grants us one great horse. And I have been, you know, I've, I've had more than what I would have ever expected to have come across um, my path. And what are some of these horses and, and what were their influences on your life? Where were you at? You know, what, what point of your life did you, did you come across these horses and, and what were the lessons learned in some of them? Yeah, you know, look, they've all, you know, as most things, like they've all taught me different um you know, different lessons, like I can, uh, you know, go back through uh, numerous ones, right back to, you know, the first pony that I, that I had, I mean, and he was tough, and he would, he was a runoff, and find every different possible way to, to get me off, and, you know, it was kind of through that pony, when I made that commitment to, to get that, that pony, uh, mum and dad were like, you know, look, you know, if you if we get this, this has got to be a, a serious decision, and a uh, uh, you've got to commit to it. So there was plenty of times where I was like, ah, I don't know about this. I should have done something else. But you know, being taught to follow through on a commitment and committing to that pony, if I had probably been let quit on that, that probably would have set some of the tones and standards for me in my own life. Um, you know, on that pony. So Tono was his name, and he was a 11-hand grey dapple pony, and I fell off that pony probably more times than I have in the rest of my entire life. Um, the next one that came along was a little bit bigger, and and she nearly she nearly killed me uh, multiple times. Uh, I I got dragged oh, geez. Uh, about a kilometre when I was a kid off her, and I remember at the at the time, and this is, you know, like a little bit of that Australian sort of, you know, bush uh, mentality. Um, you know, I got drugged and um, I didn't have anything broken. Um, but, you know, mum 
mum come along, got me got me up, dusted me off and threw me back on. <laughs> and at the time, I thought she's like the worst person in the yeah. world. Like, it's the last yeah. thing that I wanted. But again, it was that whole principle of like, hey, you're not dead, get back on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's incredible. So, so much of life is that, right? You go through a circumstance or or I reflect a lot on my upbringing, just like you described, you know? you As a child, you're wondering, why are my parents doing this? Or why is this coach doing this? Or why is this individual, right? right. Whoever's a leader. It's not until you become an adult, right? And you look back and kind of revisit some of those lessons that you realize, man, I, I'm grateful for that opportunity. I'm, I'm really fortunate that they did whatever they did, you know? Uh, uh, 100%. You know, probably one of the other, you know, the most significant horses the date that brought us through here was a was a little quarter horse stallion on the cattle station that I was on, and I always, and I tell people quite often that he was probably significantly the, the turning point of, of starting, you know, what is double dan horsemanship today. And his name is Outback Arapura, and, and he's still still going back home in Australia. We used him at a at a large show um, Equitana in Australia just late last year, and he was one of those horses that. You know, heck, I didn't really know what I was doing with this Liberty stuff or tricks or different things. And it was just one of those horses that, that taught me a lot about, um, you know, both patience and, and probably more so forgiveness. Because in hindsight, like I'd ask him to do some stuff that I didn't even know how to do. And, and a lot of times it wouldn't work out how I'd want and I'd get mad and I'd lose my temper. And the thing that really spoke to me about, about that particular horse is he'd come back that next day without resentment, without hate, and just nothing but kindness and go back in that yard with me and, and work on stuff on how to try to figure it out. So that one... That's one thing that I, I tell people. The greatest gift that I think I've been given from the horses in my history is just that, is forgiveness and grace. Uh, I think back and and I will always be a student of horsemanship. I will never, there will never be a day that I live on this earth and, and, and can confidently say that I have it all figured out. There's just too much to it. But I look back from, from where I'm at now and, and where I was, and there's so many, so many situations, just like you described, where I was probably doing a lot more damage than I was good in working with horses, and, and I was injecting so much emotion into it and so much frustration and, and wasn't willing to listen to the horse. and. Now looking back, it's just like you said, it's incredible that, you know, you walk out to that stall or walk out to that pasture and grab them and, and lo and behold, they're willing to, to give you another shot, right? They're willing to work with you another day. And yeah, it's that fortune that, that motivates me as a student of the game to try to learn more, try to learn quicker, try to learn other ways, other methods, other theories, right? Because and everybody talks, right? Every day you're working with a horse, you're training it on some level, whether it's good or bad, right? We all know that, but yep. but... I, I try to take the perspective that every moment that I spend with a horse, he's trying to teach me something. And what is that lesson? Yeah, for sure. So for let's, sure. Ta- let's talk a little bit about Liberty work. Since Nikki's episode, uh, I, I knew of Liberty work and, and things of that sort. I didn't know the first thing about any of it and have since started to study up on it. And it's absolutely incredible. It's changed my approach 180 degrees as far as working with horses. Let's talk a little bit about your start with Liberty and kind of some of your influences and lessons learned in that regard. Yeah, so the um, again, I guess the, the Liberty stuff kind of connected, and it, it fascinates me the you know the history and that of Liberty because kind of when sometimes when you think about it, you know where did it come from and why is it why is it here? And 
really, liberty comes from, from two major sources. One is very, very, very old circus uh, work. And, uh, you know, look, I, I know sometimes the circus and that gets a bad rap, but it was during that period of time where, you know, what people could ask and, you know, have horses perform was intriguing to, you know, to the society at, at that point. So the Liberty has such a, you know, long history um, that when we look at that, the circus side of it, that where it first early came from, and then, of course, um, in the movie with Hollywood and other, uh, you know, great horse-related films like that came out. So Liberty really kind of stems from, you know, back from the movie industry and, and the circus to what we have, uh, you know, today. And what's so great about the Liberty deal is that it, when we start to work with our horses and that, like, really at Liberty and develop it into a discipline, it opens up so many more avenues and ideas and imagination of, of you know, have we even scratched the surface of what we're capable of connecting to, um, you know, with our horses yet? I think you hit the nail on the head, and that's been my experience. Is it uh, for me in the in the very brief amount of time that I I've even been studying it and trying to to practice some of it, it opens up a whole new level of communication that I wasn't even aware existed before. As you turn the pages of the book, it just seems like the words are that much more glaring, right? The sentences are just that much stronger as, as you work yeah. on the communication between you and your horse, and it truly is incredible to see what what can go on and. And Nikki and I talked a little bit about it. I mean, I could only imagine some of the challenges that you guys face working with onset horses, you know, because you have Hollywood thinking that they need one shot or one type of shot, and they don't necessarily balance out the difficulty or the capabilities of, of what it takes to get that shot at liberty. Uh, absolutely. And I, I tell people all the time, one of the most difficult things in uh, whether it's, you know, setting horses up for a, for a photo shoot or even film is the stationary work where the horse has to, you know, stand and look a certain direction or rear right on that one, you know, on that one spot. Getting that horse that is a naturally a, a flight-orientated animal to do nothing is actually one of, in my opinion, is one of the most uh, difficult things to have him do at all. Absolutely. It goes, it goes against everything that they were, they were hardwired to do, right? They're an, they're an animal of movement. Exactly. I want to go through, I mean, you have... You have competed all over the world. You have done demonstrations all over the world. I mean, between Mustang, Makeover, and Way of the Horse, the World Equestrian Games, Road to the Horse. In horsemanship, so much of the human's presence, right, and the human emotion plays a role in, in the horse's performance. When you are faced with, with some of these bigger competitions or demonstrations, how do you go about curbing your emotion in a way to, to provide the horse a fair chance out there in the arena? And and the reason I want to touch on this is because so many listeners uh, participate in various competitions with horses, you know, and I think I think being able to curb yourself will give you a fair shake at a competition, and oftentimes we have a difficult time as human beings trying trying to ease our own anxieties. Yeah, you know, um, I guess it's something that I, I probably don't think, a, a, you know, a great deal about. It's why I, I always tell people, when I'm put in a position, particularly like, say, public speaking, I'm never really honestly uh, that comfortable with it at all. And it was the horse that really gave me that confidence because when, I was, when I'm out in an arena and I get to, you know, work and showcase my horses, 
there is a definite a sense of, of pride of being able to say, man, I am so happy that on this particular day, at this particular moment, that my horse or horses were able to, you know, understand the communication that I gave to them. And that's what gives me the confidence is um, not in, not so much in, not in myself, but in my horses, because I know that the work that we put in together before this moment uh, is now here being paid off. And I guess that that between, you know, um, knowing that, like two, two major things for me, like, you know, one, it is just another horse show. And that's always hard to put into perspective. Craig Johnson, um, a very famous rainer, uh, said to me uh, one time before I was getting ready, I, and I told Craig, I said, Craig, I'm, I'm a little nervous about about this. And uh, he said, just remember that the, that the uh, Papua New Guineans really don't care what happens today. And, you know, it took me quite a while to, you know, wrap my mind in that about that. But I think that what it came down to for me is, like, trying to put into perspective, like, who do I hold myself accountable, you know, to? Whose opinion does matter to me? Because, let's be honest, like, 99% of the people in the audience, and that sometimes includes the judges, am I really going to hold their opinion to the highest degree or... You know, who, who are the people in my life that I feel that I need to be accountable for? Like, firstly, for me, it's, you know, to God and then it's, you know, to my, to my family. And then there are probably a handful of people that what I do and what they think of me really, really matters. But ultimately, most of the 99% of the people at that horse show, their opinions, they're not going to really matter what they think of me. Yeah. And when I, when I can kind of keep that into perspective and then just go and enjoy my horses that we put the time in, it, it kind of becomes, you don't hear the crowd, you don't hear the noise going on, you just, you're there, you know, doing your job. Focused in the moment, yeah, and I think oftentimes a lot of performance anxiety is rooted in preparation or lack thereof, I guess we could say, and and that's an incredible perspective that you bring up about the value of, of whose opinion really matters, you know, and especially in today's day and age, it's so easy for people to chastise what you do or how you do it, yet very few people are willing to put in the work or, or the miles or even make the effort that a lot of people make, you know, when you when you put yourself out there, whether it be competition or demonstration alike. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's like the, um, I mean, you know, over the years, the, the hundreds of comments and stuff that, yeah, particularly, you know, via social media, and, and I really had to take a step back from it a long time ago and, and get a lot thicker skin uh, when it came to it because, you know, the, the people that that are, that are often judging it or criticizing it or even even you know saying hey that was a good job complimenting it they really have no no right doing any of it because they've never they've, they don't have the experience they don't have the knowledge or have put themselves in that position to even be my judge so I, I, that helps me a lot with this kind of, I guess, work and lifestyle um, is, is keeping that into perspective. I think, it's a, I think it's a great attitude and a great approach to take because oftentimes, you know, I've done it, right? You place too much too much value on, on an opinion that necessarily doesn't have any ground footing or even value in, in what's being said, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. Yeah. Good stuff. Absolutely. So in going back through all that you have competed in, what are some of the more memorable demonstrations or, or appearances or performances that kind of 
kind of maybe shaped some of your development into double down horsemanship and, and where you are today? Yeah, you know, I got, I got asked a similar question. I'm going to probably give the, the same answer here not too long ago. Road to the Horse 2018 was prepared after I worked for um, numerous weeks with, um, with Chris Cox. And that, just that, the journey going into Road to the Horse 2018, I was more prepared, more focused, determined than, than for probably just about anything else I'd ever done. And, you know, it, it's funny, I always say, it's funny on the, some days, on the days that you deserve the win, you don't. On the, and there are other days that you get handed a win when you probably didn't deserve it. And it's always so interesting as to how that, that, that part comes together, but the uh, the moment it rode to the horse, in what for me probably personally was probably uh, one of the hardest losses to take, was the moment in which I got done with my second colt, and they both my colts did, did incredible on the last day, and I looked out the corner of my eye, and here comes you know Dan Steers with the Australian flag running around the edge of the arena, high-fiving everybody. And I picked up the American one and, and followed on behind him. And that, that, that for me was, you know, look, it didn't end up turning out in the competition arena for me. But as far as memorable moments go, um, you know, at, at events, that, that's by far one of the, uh, the best that I have. The other thing was, you know, like the World Equestrian Games. Uh, for, you know, for many competitors and, you know, myself included, it's like you're at the World Equestrian Games. Like, this is the pinnacle. There's no higher level in which to compete at. I would say it's virtually the Olympics uh, of horse sports. Right. And, you know, what What I realized, and uh, there was a, a good friend of mine, another fellow Australian competitor on the dressage team, and he said this to me before we went to the event. He said, what the crowd should do is stand and give every rider and horse a standing ovation before they go out and show. He said, because this, this event is not about the event. He said, it's about the journey. Absolutely. You know, you can take that into, into life in different, different pieces. But honestly, the greatest part about the World Equestrian Games, like looking back on it and after being there, was 100% was that journey to get there. It wasn't the, wasn't the outcome on how it, on how it turned out. It was, 100 percent the, the path and the journey that it that took us to, to get to compete there i could i could only imagine the 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 feeling of pride that you must have felt and and i oftentimes think back in in my journey with with baseball i place so much value in what i call the quiet moments right the moments when you're in the gym by yourself the moments when you're at the yard by yourself right you're putting in all these thousands and thousands and thousands of extra hours to get a tenth of a percent better you know and and for you yep. and the journey that you've traveled in literally in your lifetime and what you've done with horses, what an amazing feeling to sit there. And, and I hope at some point you got to sit back and just take it all in and enjoy that everything that you've fought for in your life. I mean, here it is, right? It's all paying off right now in this very moment, short of what even took place inside the arena at the World Equestrian Games. Yeah. And, you know, I think that one of the challenges I know that I definitely find myself in, in, in life is learning to find peace and joy in that moment and being able to live in that moment and not what's next or what, you know, bigger. I think that I have to check myself all the time back and say, hey, enjoy 
what you have right now, whether that be a bad situation that you're going through that you've got to be thankful in. You know, I think that that, to me, is one of the challenges that I find is, is you know, just checking yourself and saying, hey, look and look where you are right now. Yeah. It's, it's a very difficult lesson to learn, you know, especially with folks that are very competitive and type A personalities because my, my personal approach is if you set a goal and you achieve that goal, like what is there to boast about? That's what you said you were going to do, right? That's, that's the goal, right. the mission, the purpose. But as I walk through life, I have found that sometimes you, gotta, you don't need to boast and throw a party, but sometimes you got to take a, take a back seat and just enjoy that victory before you realign your, your goals and, and, and take it to the next level. Because especially when you get to horsemanship and your caliber and your level, I mean, there are very, very small fractions of improvement that you guys are looking for because you're so proficient at what you're doing already, you know? Sure. I, you know, the, 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 the truth of it is like, you know, nearly every day that I go out there and I start working my, my horses and I find myself in that in that moment of thinking just how little that I know, and it's dumbfounding to me when, as, as I go along, you know, on the horsemanship side of it, as just how little that I have known for all of these years, and that's where I, I you know, again, I come back and I say I'm so grateful for the the men and women that poured their knowledge and their thoughts and how much further ahead that they could put me in horsemanship than I ever, you know, would have been because it's it's just astounding when you start to learn and see some of this stuff and you're like, how, how did I never see that before? How did I miss it for all these years? It's incredible when you start to think about horsemanship on that level. And, and I've had the fortune to, to work with Jack Brainerd and, and he did his demonstration on footfall and, and we got in the arena and started to work on a lot of the timing of Something as simple as a, as a horse's stride. There has been hundreds of billions of hooves that have walked this earth, right? And we are trying to pay attention to one horse's stride on one of their feet. And yeah. he makes it sound so incredibly simple as far as the timing and, and when to cue up a horse and how the stride is going to take place and how you can control the feet. And you sit back and, and watch a man of his caliber who's literally spent a lifetime changing changing the quarter horse industry and it truly is incredible but it makes you wonder I'll tell you what the first eye-opening experience for me was when I really dedicated to horsemanship is you get out there and start to have some of these conversations and it's just like you described you don't know what you don't know there's just so much to this game and and it's great to have folks like you said who are mentors and willing to kind of share some of their legacy and their lessons learned and their struggles to get folks such as myself up to speed a lot quicker because I mean, shoot, this could be the last day that God has for me on this earth, you know? But even if he granted me 100 years in my lifetime, I, I can't say that it's enough to figure out a horse. Yeah, 100%. In, in thinking back and reflecting a lot in your journey, can you think of a time where you came to a crossroad and you have that reservation or you start to second guess, you know, I've made this commitment to horsemanship and, and this is what I want to do and and we all have feelings of self-doubt or we all have those struggles. Can you think of a crossroad that you were met and you made the right decision to fight on versus just lay down and give up on things? And kind of what was that scenario and how did you work your way through it in challenging yourself and, and overcoming an adversity? You know, um, 
I think I probably uh, have them have those moments more often on a smaller scale. Um, I'll kind of answer first than, than anything else, where you, you get, you know, I think in everything you can become burnt out, and it's a, as you know, being a, being a father and that, like trying to find the balance point between, you know, being a, you know, a husband, a father, a horseman, you know, a businessman. Uh, you know, I think there's a real balance point there that you, you constantly, for me anyway, I constantly have to get up and, and keep those things into perspective and then do my best to keep them in balance uh, without, without burning myself out. Um, I think that, that is a daily thing that I try to, uh, you know, make sure I commit to. I think probably on a, on a larger proportion scale, I had a, a, a pretty significant injury to my right leg a number of years ago uh, now where one of my own horses fell over backwards on me and it um, yeah, completely sort of opened me up from almost below my knee to my ankle. And at one point, I didn't, I thought it was just going to be, you know, go to hospital, get stitched up and I'd be good to, good to go. And after a couple of operations and, and several days in hospital, it, like initially in that moment, I was like, really like holy shit Batman like I'm about to lose my leg and, and there was a certain amount of fear that came over me absolutely like in in that moment I'm like this, this would be uh you know be very life-changing for somebody that you know makes their living out of that and then it was it probably took me two or three days and I just I got this piece about it and I know it was through, you know, friends and family and that pain for me. And, and it was, and it was, it become, it instantly became very clear. I'm like, you know what? If I have to be a Roman rider with a, uh, what, what was the guy that had that raced on, on that one crazy leg? He had the, what they call oh, it? Oh, the prosthetic or whatever? Uh, yeah, like it, but it's just, it looks like just a, a like a bent piece of metal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, if I have to be the, the guy that ends up out there roaming riding with that, I'm okay. So it, it, in that moment, you know, it just it changed my whole perspective. So that was one of those, I, I guess, kind of like to try to, you know, bring it back to the question that you asked. That was very much one of those, those parts of where, okay, looking at this and feeling like, all right, lose my leg at that first moment, felt like it's going to be the worst thing in the world. And then, you know, a couple of days into it, I was like, I'm okay with that. If that's if that's what happens, I'm good to go. I'm going to keep going. It's absolutely incredible, and it, I think it places a lot of emphasis on on gratitude. Right? We are often so blessed to live the lives that we we lead. Right? Whether it's with horses or or having a job or the stability of a house or food on our table, you know. And it's not until sometimes we experience some of these extremely traumatic events that we we have these moments of clarity, right? Where it truly, truly, truly starts to put life in a perspective that you learn what's valuable, what's not valuable, what you can survive with or what you can survive without, you know? And it's, it's difficult because we don't want anybody to go through, through a lot of those traumas. And, and part of that is predicated in what this show is all about, you know, trying to provide some value to folks to where they don't have to go through a lot of those experiences themselves. You know, if you can learn a lesson here or learn a lesson there from, from any number of guests that we have on the show, that's the benefit of it because so much to life is just that. It's perspective like you talked about. Somebody could take those same exact circumstances that you were faced with and never get over the fact, even if their leg did heal up fine, you know? 
absolutely. It's just absolutely incredible. Well, Dan, as we as we kind of wrap things up, I like to give every guest the opportunity to kind of share either a life mantra or words that they live by or, you know, a valuable lesson learned throughout life. Is there anything in particular, whether you learned it with the horse or or you learned it from a mentor in life or an experience traveled, kind of some words that you would like to leave with people as a lasting impression? You know, I I, I think probably the easiest way for me to kind of summarize that up is um, it's important to understand what the what the really the big picture here on, on earth is and that me first first and foremost is having a relationship with with God and then, you know, what happens from there doesn't matter. That that to me is the is, is the first one and, and kind of I don't know, I feel encompasses it uh it, it all. The way I relate to that is it that through so much of my life I being a type A personality, you have to be in control, right? You have to work that much harder and you have to put that much more time in and if you want something you go chase it. And I came to a point in my life where you talk about the burnout, right? You lose the life balance and and life just isn't as joyous as it once was. And there were moments where I was a broken man. I mean, broken human being. And I wept and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And when I truly committed to God and put it it in His hands, uh, my life has been so much more valuable than it ever had been previous to that. And, And a lot of that is my work with horses and the opportunities that have been created as a result. You know, if you looked at my history, there's no reason in the world that I should be talking to Dan James or any of the guests that I've had on my show. You know, but there's there's value in all of it, and I truly believe God's got a plan. And in this direction, he's pointed my ship, and we'll just row as hard as we can until he says to go other way. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean to that. I mean, that's, I, I guess, one of, you know, one of the things that, to me, that is so incredible about God's gift of the horses because there's the people that it brings together and that it aligns kings and queens and the poorest people on the earth come together and go to working around the horses. It puts everybody on a level playing field and brings people together that would maybe never connect in life. Absolutely. Well, Dan, I thank you very much for the, the time that you've spent with us and invested into not only me, but our listeners alike. And and we wish you the safest of travels and an exciting and fruitful 2019 year. But before we go, if you don't mind sharing maybe some of your, your websites and social media where folks can consume some of your content or, or maybe catch you at a show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, our website is uh, Double Dan Horsemanship. Of course, if you're in the U.S., uh, it's uh, Double Dan Horsemanship USA. Uh, our Facebook page, uh, which is both for Australia and and, uh, and the US is of course Double Dan Horsemanship. On Instagram, uh, we really you know start to do a lot more on on there again Double Dan Horsemanship. And then uh, of course a new one that we've kind of started up is the International Liberty Horse Association. Uh, it's brand new. There's a website for it, Facebook and Instagram on there as well. I uh, sure appreciate any of the support. Dan, we thank you very much for your time and look forward to many conversations here in the future. We wish you the best of luck with everything you got going personally and professionally. Thanks, Jason. Look forward to it. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one. Oh,